0: Hello and welcome once again to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Up until the early 2000s, it was very rare to see an African face on the streets of Hobart or Launceston. All this started to change with the arrival of really noticeable numbers of refugees, primarily from Sudan though in fact most were from what is now called South Sudan, who were the survivors of an ongoing brutal civil war that has taken the lives of hundreds of thousands and displaced millions. Amongst those arrivals was Lawrence and his siblings, who arrived in Hobart in 2003. The early days were not easy, adjusting to a new language, school and dealing with racism as well. However, over the past 20 years, Hobart has become much more diverse with many newcomers from diverse parts of Africa and elsewhere. And as you'll hear, Lawrence has found himself feeling more and more at home in Hobart, where he now lives with his wife and five children.
1: I was born in a hospital in Uganda, a little place called Ajumani. But then we went back to Sudan for three months well don't have memory of that because I was really little three months later a war starts and then I went to Uganda and with my mom, my mom took me there then we grew up in the refugees camp until I was 14 years of age and came to Shelly yes. and
0: uh, you, your family is originally from South Sudan is that Yes right?
1: yes yeah. the only reason why I was born in Uganda is because there was a lot of rumours of wars starting and my auntie took my mother to Uganda hospital to give birth because things weren't really safe and things were not certain, yeah. Yeah, and Uganda was the nearest bordering country. Well, we share border with yeah. Uganda. So South Sudan, where normally people from right across is just Uganda, yeah.
0: So then did your mum specifically go to Uganda to give birth?
1: Yes, my auntie oh. took my mum so her older sister took her yeah because at this stage we already lost my father so my auntie couldn't not afford to lose more life in at yeah. this stage yes yeah yeah absolutely. Yeah. so she wanted to make sure everything went all right
0: and so what was the your early life in uganda like uh, or, what, or what do you remember
1: i remember a lot of struggle but i remember happiness and i remember community being, be, be, being Together. We didn't have a lot, but I think we had each other no matter what. In the, the little we had, it has to go a long way with everybody else, yes.
0: So, were you mainly uh, around with other Sudanese? Sudanese?
1: Yes, because we were in refugees' camp. Basically, yeah. the refugees' camp was Sudanese, but we do get an interview with the uh, Ugandan citizens because they're also nearby. The refugees came, so in the refugees camp, we basically yes, it, it unless we go out of that, so we go near town or something. I um, feel like when I was a little bit older, when when I got a little bit older, we were able to go to the town, to the shop, or you know, mothers would send us to the the, the nearest town to buy stuff and bring back. That's when we start interfering. But before that, in in the refugees camp, we had. The, the camp school, everything. Yeah. So the camp was sort of self-contained, but you
0: were able to kind of go in and out.
1: Yeah, we were able to go in and out in very nearby. Not long distance, but everybody got given a little bit of land, so mm-hmm. say maybe a couple of hectare to grow stuff on, okay. as well as the, the UN sort of give corn, dry ones and some beans and some soap and some oil and some salt to help, but by everything else, you have to, that's not enough to raise family. You have to grow small things. You have to grow your own greens. You have to, and they supply us with a bit of seed so we could, but it was harder for us because there was not a male figure because um, my father being passed a lot earlier that changes a bit of a game, yeah.
0: I've I've noticed that that seems to be quite a common thing for many um, Sudanese who come, come here, that they've lost their, they don't have a father figure.
1: Yeah. That's a lot because I don't know about for other people how they lost their parents or their father, but my father was a commander, so, they were taking food somewhere, and then then accident happened, which they run on the mines and that, that blow up. So that's how we lost him. But so many people lost their parents or their older siblings in a different ways, or they try to fight back, or you know, in that sort of in in that sort of situation where you feel like you're old enough to res- you you feel responsible to protect your family, but. Yeah, a lot of people were lost that way, especially fathers. They send their wife and their children to run ahead and they stood and fought to back them off a bit. But yeah, every war is a crime. I think every single war, in it's, it's a crime. There's no war called fair war. <laughs> There's not just equal, because every war, no matter what sort of war it is, it's the civilians that the one yeah. are in trouble So
0: you, you get to go to school in the refugee camp?
1: Yeah, on and off because you know you start going to one school and sort of starting to settle and then we have to move and then when you move you go to a new camp or something you have to worry about Building a house or something or cottage, you know. Okay. like It was never a proper house, but it's a cottage, you know, or ten trying to settle. And then you start going to school and it's time to move again. So it was always on the move. Yeah. So
0: it was kind of dis- disrupted school.
1: Disrupted. Very, very disturbed childhood. Yeah. Very, very disturbed. In, in some part of different camps, I suppose, there's some camp was set permanently until peace was. Announced to them but where i was it wasn't so i've been in like been five different camps okay so, so f- all in uganda all in uganda yes you have five different places where we have to move because our circumstances changed there or we have to move to where my grandmother camp was because uh my step dad was no longer with my mom or he abuses my mom okay. it was just everything too many things happen,
0: yeah. and so how many people were in your family at that
1: time? When I was four, my mom remarried to my uncle, and they had three other kids, so a brother and two sisters. So but you
0: had some brothers and sisters and some half.
1: Siblings. Yeah. So yeah. So half half siblings, but they never called them like that. Anyway, so in sort of my culture, this is what they used to practice when if your brother die and has a family left over or like a young family left behind, is your basically responsibility to take over and raise that family and therefore she can have your kid as well. Apparently that's what they used to practice and that's what went ahead. Those kids are still sign of, the name of my father but my uncle is their father but it just things went a bit shower, I suppose and yeah. it didn't continue for long and my mother left
0: Were you ever expecting to go back to Sudan at that
1: stage? While we were in Yeah. Did you feel like you, were, um, you
0: they were just there temporarily or?
1: Well it's funny I just start, to feel like it, it's temporary and everybody pray for peace everybody wish for peace and want to go back but in the long run you know you get used to the life you're living and even though it's very you know the bottom of the life you're living it's become like is it acceptable you, you in the long run you, you you accept to live that way i never thought about that but that that's something the came life become like you know you get up you go and work people farm or you do what you do to survive for the day. And then basically you live as of the day provide, I suppose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Everyone always have dreams. Like, you know, people want to study, people. I've seen other older kids that they, they have gone to like college and out of the camp, their parents send them out out of the camp because they had more than we had so if you had money even though you were refugees you were able to put your kids into a proper school and at the end of the day money talks. so if, if you have gold you have stuff you can yeah but ours one was take away from us a little bit earlier which when my father passed in and that because when we went in, in sudan we, we used to have everything like my sisters and my my other brothers they went to a good school. We were living like here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, until he passed and then the war started and we just lost everything. I can tell you quick, say for example, like the war happened in Ukraine. Mm. You know, all these people were living their life. You know, they, they, they have everything. They have school to go to, they have friends, they have family, they have cars, they have farm, they grow everything, they, they have everything they need. But bang, war start. What happened? What do you take? Everything you know, everything you have, it's all left behind, or destroyed. Left behind and destroyed, I I should say. Yeah, Yeah. so it's like that. Even though we live very culturally, we we, we have a strong culture, but even though we live that way, we still have everything we need.
0: And so what were your dreams when you were in the the camp?
1: (laughs) It's funny. I used to make a lot of music when when I was young. I used to sit under the tree. I had a I had a skeleton of um of a radio. You know how they used to have like olden day they have a radio with, with tapes. You put tapes and you press it and yeah, yeah. you play I'm, and you wind I'm, back. I'm old enough to remember those. <laughs> like all those sort of stuff. Yeah. I used to have like a skeleton of it where I I can only press down or it will press and it'll pop back up. Like you press the play bit, but it doesn't work. So I used to press that and make noise and make music, okay. but that wasn't my dream. But that's what I used to do that for fun. Just all day I would do that. I don't know. I used to want to be engineer or something, make something. I'm always about making something. Very, very creative. You know, that's that's what I always been and I wanted to create stuff that something that I could leave behind and forever was, remain. You know what I mean? Like, did
0: you think that dream was a- possible, or did you think it was just going to be a dream?
1: The dream was possible. It could come true. Um, the hardest thing is not to, unable to achieve the dreams that you dream of or what everybody else dream of. It's what we were surrounded by. There was no escape. You don't, there's no window or little tiny where you can get out and be able to explore and to be able to fulfil what you're capable of. It might feel oh this is the life you're living now, but you're always hopeful or you're dreaming for freedom. That the most dream everybody have is freedom. Um, you dream for freedom, but when will freedom come? Or what is freedom? It's it's very hard when you're in that situation where there's there's no such thing called tomorrow, or, and the the most crazy thing is, even though we went camp, we still get attacked. You know. We, <laughs> We get attacked by Ugandan rebel okay. just just to hurt the Ugandan government, as well as you know, as well as whatever's goes on, you know, you know, people trying to work hard or just raise the kid, hoping they have better future. What was the process for
0: coming to Australia, and how did, how did it start?
1: That bit it was very hard, so my mum was poisoned, so my mum died, and she left me and my three other siblings, which happened with my uncle, but my dad had three wives, so those three wives had kids. So I have older older siblings, I was the youngest one for my dad, but oldest for my mum. So my sister, my older sister was already here and when no, actually, I think they were still in Cam in Kakuma, but on the way to coming here. And then when she got here, I think she came here 2002, and then her and husband, they sponsor us to come here.
0: And and how long did it take for you to um, get approval?
1: It was a long process, probably a year, year and a half, maybe close to two years. Mm-hmm. I was in Kampala waiting, waiting, waiting. They were very great. I mean, I'm very grateful for them because being a new arrival here and they were trying to get all this paper to be you know, processed and, and they were paying for our accommodation in Kampala city, which is the, the capital of Uganda where we were in it. There was four of us, which is my older brothers and my sister and my older brother, so yeah together so you're you all um came
0: together
1: only four of us but no my mom's um no my mom's kid just me from my mom's side and one from the other wife and one from the other wife and one from the other wife so there's four of us but from one 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 oh okay yeah so it's yeah complicated it's very complicated but (laughs) it works I could barely speak English when I came. I could say hello, hi, bye, That that's it. I know when we were close to Kem, we were looking at the map, where we are, very tiny little Tazi, that's where we're going. And it was like, very exciting, you know. To me, it didn't feel like I'm going to another country or very far, but it feel like I was just going to rejoin with my sister. Okay. because my sister was very big role model in my life i and when she left the camp to go to another camp with her husband where they came here yeah i missed her so much and i was like looking so forward just reuniting with her because coming to say didn't feel like i'm going to another country i didn't even know that
0: and so how old were you when you arrived here 14 14
1: okay 14 nearly 15. Yeah,
0: still yeah. still school age
1: it's still school age. so i went to grade, late grade eight and then grade nine ten in college then i stopped start working because i had a lot of responsibility that i have to take care of and yeah trying to build future i suppose i should have stayed at school but sometime Got to do what you got to do, brother.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And not everybody is suited to the school, uh, the school environment.
1: No, especially when you don't have that early foundation. You know, like that very early foundation. I wish it could have, even though I was fourteen, it could start. Eric <laughs> and I actually talk about this a lot. Sometimes, when when new arrival come, we should start them from like really that primary school level mm-hmm. and then build them up so mm-hmm. they actually got chance i'm not saying i didn't have a chance but to build them up to yeah to lay a, lay a stronger foundation yeah lay a stronger foundation so they could actually prefer better yeah so if you can't read and write and you got thrown into um grade nine or even a college what you expected to achieve if you know, if you hardly know your ABC and you get chucked into grade eight or grade nine, grade ten, what are you supposed to do? So, were there
0: many others um, Sudanese around who who could sort of
1: help you out, or or? <laughs> it's t- funny. Um, at my school, there was no one could speak my language. Okay, so. I was great no one could actually say It's because you know being Sudanese um they expect you automatically to speak Arabic but because I was never in Sudan I grew up uh-huh. in Uganda so I could understand Arab because my mom speak Arab very fluent I could understand Arab but I couldn't you know speak back so <laughs> at school they bring them along say oh they want uh, they want them to translate something to me. I was like, I don't understand what to say. Oh. I don't know what to they say. They're speaking their language, hoping that I knew what they were saying, but nah, nah.
0: So uh, how many years did you do um, school
1: here? Year nine, 10, 11, 12. And I think I did a bit of a courses in a college for, I mean, a TAFE for a couple of years just to better myself
0: and did you find it um, hard or easy to get to know the sort of local people like it's at school or wherever
1: oh, about that um, it's hard to say but I think it's, it's easy for me to relate to people or to meet people and but 2003 it was pretty hard time in Harvard. Mm-hmm. I mean it Immigrant was just sort of introduced. People are coming and people don't know who you are. They you know, it's it was hard the first two three years. I faced a lot of racism, but that doesn't that didn't stop me from loving people, and yeah, or trying to meet other people. Yeah, should for
0: for context, I should say that uh, that I guess at that time it was fairly new for for the first wave i suppose of africans to settle here yeah maybe it probably started early 2000s late 90s but before that it was yeah. hardly anything
1: hardly 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 like <laughs> i think it was only four of us as a you know <laughs> black boys at school or brown skinned boys at school yeah. it's only four you know and before that there were maybe two others which older left the school and then we started and th- that was it and when you go in the street of Hobart, you don't see anyone. There wasn't no Indians, no Chinese, no <laughs> like yeah. no. There was not that many people. So, like I say, it didn't stop me from loving people or wanted to meet new people. Which, yeah, I I did face a lot of that. Like I was egged there, and I was called whatever name that you know. I was hit. I was yeah all that sort of stuff, but nah. I, I, I think I've seen more than just that to stop me from loving people, because I think, I think the world will be a lot better if everyone sort of responds to more loving than yeah, react to hate. No, yeah, no. I don't know if I should call it hate, because you can't hate what you don't know.
0: When you finished uh, your school here, what did you do then?
1: Well, before I even finished school, I got a job. I work, kept studying and work and work. And get a different job and work. So how how did you get your first job? Oh, my old teacher got it for me. Okay. That was funny. I was working at Hill Street. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, for, she got it. She talked to one of the bosses. They said, oh yeah, I'm a good boy. They should, they should hook me up and yeah, I got it. And then they give me the job. I think I worked there for, maybe seven months, and then moved on. Got a similar job after that, moved on. And then got another job, moved on. Then I end up owning my own store for a little while. And so uh, what are you doing now? I do transporting work now. I do transport, yeah, we do a lot of uh, delivering, picking up a lot of big stocks and taking them all across the state. And what I love about it, you get to see so much different part of Tazi. Yeah. Like, I, I, everybody should go work in transport. <laughs> to be honest, you see the beauty of Tazi. Yeah. You see it all. From south to north, west to east, everywhere. Everything be, between it, you see it. It's good.
2: Yeah.
1: How did you um,
0: first meet your wife? <laughs> And how long have you been together?
1: Oh, we've been together, we've been together for maybe 13, 14 years. But I knew her way back. Yeah, mm-hmm. I knew her. Her mom used to teach at school. So we used to hang out, just friends. Yep. And
0: then one day we, yeah, just to date. And, uh, well, how many kids have you got?
1: got five. Five? Yeah, it's five of them. So the oldest is 12, and the youngest is two. Okay. Oh you've got uh you've got plenty to look
0: after you when you're when you're old. Well
1: I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope they do the right thing.
0: <laughs> yes. Because that's isn't that the tradition in the uh, most in Africa. That's, well it's, uh,
1: it's supposed to be. Your your elders parents look after you and then when they get old, you're supposed to look after them. It's the same cycle, isn't it? Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be that way anyway. Yeah. That's how I was raised anyway, so but I see a lot of different things here though. You know, when you get older to in the home or something, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I know that's
0: one thing that many uh, immigrants from Asia, Africa find a bit difficult about here is just the different attitude to elderly, elderly people. As I understand rightly in most parts of Africa, there's a lot of uh, respect for the people who are older than you.
1: Yeah, there's a, I experienced that when I came, when, when I was very near arrival. I got in a bus where the bus is full. Where when I got in the bus, the bus wasn't full, but you know, on the way the bus got really full and the old person got in with a stick, trying to walk along. It's, Everybody else doing their own thing, you know, I was like, oh, do you want my seat? And then I just give my seat to them. But no one else would offer that. But I said that many, many times. When, when, when it comes to respect for elders, I think everyone respects their, their, their elders, but in, in different ways. Back in Sudan, if I was in my father's land and my grand, great, 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 grand, grandfather's land, everyone's lived there. Yes, maybe we grow up, we go to city, to work, and then our home is always there. Our kids got there, and they go to school nearby, and then they'll go further. Responsibility is to keep going. And when they get old, it's our responsibility because we're young and fit. We need to look after them. Because when we're young and weak, they look after us. To me, that's, that's normal. It is respect, but at the end of the day responsibility it's like if i have enough and you don't have any automatically in my culture i automatically to share with you if you don't have food and i got food even a peanut we're supposed to break it you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's but here you've got to work hard to better your life and your family and that's the very center and it's very cycle of your life it's to better your life and your family life which your immediate family life which is yeah. your kids your wife and that's it mostly you know what i mean but yeah where i'm from is different it's like uh, yeah i still do now you know i work hard i really work hard i have a uh, siblings which are younger than me are still back in africa okay when they're sick they got no one else to call they call me and I give them money. I make sure they go to hospital. I make sure they're well. You know, when they have drought, they don't have food, they call me and I give them money. I make sure they, they're fit. And and the people around them, they can help them as well. So, And I know a lot of people do it. A lot of people that, you know, the immigrant probably come here, I don't know how long ago. Everyone does it, you know. It's your responsibility to look after each other. Because how can I live here in a, a nice house, I can eat as many meals I want in a day, but knowing, you know, they only had maybe one meal today or yesterday. I, I, I can't sleep. How can we? I can't. I, 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 I cannot. When the one, one person, say, for example, when one person die, like one elderly person die, there'll be thousands of people coming. Mm. That's how much your relation go back your family you, goes back it's, um, it's very important because they, they actually keep the family trees alive. It's not that I need to go back and have a look what 100 years was like. They kept it alive. You know autumn you know everybody know everybody, everybody talk about who is our past and sisters. You, you know you know your great-great great grandpa's name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's that, right. they just carry that on it's as far as possible. They keep carrying it on as far as possible. Yeah, like my son, Elizao. that's my great, great grandpa's name. Another funny story. So when we come here, we were living like near St. Mary and that, where the St. Mary, they, they, they call it St. Mary School. We were living near there. One day I came out, I came out of there where we were, were sleeping. I was just hanging out. This is like, I think we were five days here, five days. But I haven't been out. We've just been inside, eat, and hang out, shower, and sleep. Let's chill. And I saw these city married girls going to, they're going to the class and that. I mean, going to school, walking past right at front doors. Their hands were white. The heads were white, right, and the legs were black. I was very shocked. I was confused. I was, what is it like? So the people are here, half white and half black. Is that what's going on? I was like, I ran to my brother. I was like, Hey, wake up, wake up, bro, come check this out. The the, the people are here. Their bottom bit is black, and the top bit, it's white. He came and said, I don't know, leave me alone, he went, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Later on, I realized they were wearing stocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was funny. That 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 killed me. That killed me. I will never forget that. I will never forget that story, no. You, you've got your
0: five kids who've been brought up, brought up here. Yeah. What, what do you sort of hope for the future for them?
1: They have bright future in front of them. So they're all smart. They're all doing well at schools. You know, they're all spotty. Hopefully, they do all right. I just want them to have respect for everyone, like mostly to have respect for themselves and, yeah, to have respect for everyone. And everything else will work itself out.
0: And how much of, like, your Sudanese heritage do you try to pass on to them? Like, for example, do they know some of the language?
1: Yeah, they can say hi. and they, 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 Yeah, n- not a lot, but I try because, obviously, my wife only speaks English. But uh, we speak a lot of English here. But, yeah, I try. I, I, I try sometime to take them to my stepmom's house. And they and then they speak different languages there. So it's just good, it's good for them. And also the culture way, how things supposed to be done, how they're supposed to behave, that sort of stuff. I try to pass that on to them. I should never hear my kids swear at me. So I try not, (laughs) (laughs) it's hard some days, you know.
0: Have you seen a lot of change here in that time like for example in people's attitudes towards african african migrants yeah a, a,
1: a lot better yeah a lot different it it have changed a lot a lot it's funny my wife when she used to go to the supermarket or something people say to her oh you're doing such a good thing raising those kids up where did they come from <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> like what do you answer to that? Uh, yeah. you know somebody saying not to you in supermarket because they're brown kids uh Yeah, huh, you doing such you you doing good thing for the world. What? Yeah, it's weird, and yeah, but it's not a lot. It doesn't. It's not like a uh, your these these go back where you came from. You know, it's not that anymore. It's like very cheeky. But it's good. It's, 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 I've calmed down a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I mean, but yeah, it's a, I've calmed down a lot.
0: In Melbourne, for example, there was a time when there was all this fear about Sudanese gangs. And yeah. It never seemed to be a, a, an issue
1: here. I wondered whether that's because it's a smaller place. And no, um, it's not that. It's a, you see media push what they want to push. I'll blame media for that, and people doesn't matter what it is, like I say before there's a, it doesn't matter what culture it is or whatever it is there's always good people there's always five percent of the bad people, no matter what culture yeah I've seen here I've seen you know in in so when they see oh crazy young young teenagers drunk running around causing trouble oh. The gang, you know, because they're black. Mostly in Melbourne, they're blacks as Sudanese, pretty much. Oh, they're Sudanese. But when you have like a, on the other side of where where, where they, I don't know, they, they, you know, I've I've seen on the TV where they, they, they stab each other. People stab each other. Mm-hmm. People do this thing. People do that stuff. But that was never reported, you know, that way it's a media is very easy to put everyone in one bracket yeah i'm always just this person I, you gotta play fair on it's not it's it's that five group of boys or five ten twenty group of people when did stuff i was very against that that Sudanese gang thing or african gang thing i yeah. was very because I'm 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 not thugging up. I'm not, you know, you know. I'm not. I'm doing the right thing here. I'm trying to raise my kids here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know a bunch of others trying to raise the kids and trying to do the right thing. They go to work every day. They don't steal anyone's stuff. They go. They get up. They go work and bring, you know, to put food on the table for the kids, and then turn the TV on. Oh, so gangs. No. It was just a bunch of clowns doing whatever they want to do that's what I call them a bunch of clowns doing whatever yeah. their thing is okay, just like it's going to happen in the Eastland. A bunch of clowns walking in the supermarket, filling up their pockets and walking out when when the shopkeeper trying to say something they spit on the face and keep walking. It's funny when that was happening actually when I still had the shop and that week when this af uh, Sudanese gang thing was going on, you know. I feel it in my shop. It was very quiet. Yeah, right. It was really, really quiet. I mean, we push on advertising stuff, like, you know, but the shop, I noticed the
2: difference.
0: Have you noticed that people here now have a bit of a, a better understanding of Africans? Yeah, th- yeah.
1: yeah, I think so. I think so. I got a lot of friends. I got a lot of friends that answer the needs. A lot of friends. Lots, 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 lots. It's been 20 years making. How about it's definitely different. It's different. Different to what it used to be. A lot of people, you know, I still now and then get people, you know, always, oh, so where are you from? Mm-hmm. That's all right. You know, I used to jog. I said, I'm from bel Reve. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> so, so where are you from? Uh, bel Yeah. Like I used to just do for jog, then I tell them where I was born and blah, blah, blah. But, it's not like I say it's not I don't know how to put it the right way. They arrogant the the arrogantly like appearing say oh go back where you come from blah blah. I don't see that. I, I, I don't I don't I don't hear that anymore, I don't see that
2: anymore.
1: Music always been my passion. I love doing music, I love entertaining people. I do for the live I normally just write personal stories and you know and put it out there the crowd like it and
0: so you you occasionally do live live performances yeah
1: occasionally I used to do more until COVID hit and things sort of got shut down a bit there was not much festivals going on but maybe it's time to take over again Mm -hmm. do some more
0: what what kind of music do you like to do
1: I started off doing a lot of hip-hop, sort of a lot of rapping and that sort of stuff. But these days, I, I like doing like dancehall, sort of a reggae, reggaeton. It's like more sort of African-flavoured, yeah. slash everything else mixed in there. Yeah. Whatever keep people going, whatever keep me dancing, I suppose. I like it. As long the true story keep coming out of it, you know. Because to me music send me free Mm -hmm. and um so whatever been bothering me or whatever i see bothering other people or what i see going on in the world music always free me from that because then i go have my say of what i've seen or what i've heard i'll have my say but i say that in the music Mm -hmm. because i think somebody else need to listen or hear it whatever is going on
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Don't forget you can also follow us on Spotify, Facebook and Twitter. Just look up 177 Nations of Tasmania. And thank you again for listening.